do you know about what I'm doing? Where you can get news about the Jamaican culture and just learn about how Jamaicans are doing as a yard and abroad. You get to learn a new Jamaican Patwa word or even a Jamaican phrase. I look forward to the Patwa word of the day. The Patwa word is Pasa Pasa. Word today is Taco Ram. Our word of the day is Duffy. Twang. No little, no little twang, not you. I enjoy tuning in to what a go. It happens every Friday, 7 p.m. So check them out. And bye from Toronto. Dodds, Quebec, it's La Jamaica. It could what a Yes, I. What a I am a big fan of Water Relevant and entertaining, so keep up the good work. Watch Water Guan. Big up yourself. Water Guan. Yes, I. Water Guan. Watch Water Guan. Hello, 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 hello. Welcome back to another Friday and it is time for Wataguan. And the usual is that it's time to text everybody you know, whether it's your friend, your enemy, your neighbor, your not so neighbor, neighbor, but it's time for Wataguan. Just send out the roll call and let everybody come on because it's Wataguan time. Hello, good evening. It's your girl from Bongotone. Back again, because guess what? It is Friday. And for us here in Canada, it's a long weekend. So yay, happy for us. But we want to welcome all our listeners on Fresh FM Radio London. And just to let you also know that Wataguan is available on all podcasting platforms. So check us out on Podbeam, Google, Amazon, iHeart, and Player FM. You can also connect with us on the link, connect with all of these places on the link on our website, and that's at www.wataguan.ca. Each week, I keep reminding you, remember that Guan is two A's and not one. We're still in the month of May, and today we'll be looking at an episode that will be focusing on Windrush 75. The team in Jamaica is getting set up to have some fun while celebrating the great things that have come out of that experience. Today we will hear some more, sorry, some more of those stories uh, to look at the journey, how it began in 1948. Tony Fairweather will join us later to share some stories that he captured in his book, 28 pounds, 10 shillings. And all for all of those other folks who sailed to HMS, who sailed on the HMS Windrush. So stay tuned because that is coming up in time to reason. Sorry, again, this week, this itching. But before we go any further and before I keep itching, it's very hot outside. Today, the heat kind of feels special. My energy feels a little funny and off. But before we go any further, guess what? 
it is Patwa time, my favorite time of the podcast of Watagon National. All right, but today we are going to not do a word, but we're going to do a phrase. And the phrase today is ass dead and cow fat. I was Thursday day old when I hear somebody said that the phrase is not ass dead and cow fat, but rather is ass dead and crow fat. So you're going to do the usual, make the thing engaging and lively and drop it in the comment. How you know it? Is it ass dead and cow fat or is it ass dead and crow fat? I also want you to tell me which one you know and whichever one you know it as, tell me the meaning, all right? So the patwa phrase this week is ass dead and cow fat. So you're going to tell me if it's cow or if it's crow, because I found out that apparently it's crow just this week. So tell me which one you know it as and the meaning. Remember, we want it to be engaging, so drop some stuff in the comments, shout it out, and let us know, all right? We want you to um, keep the thing going. So on last week's show, we it was awesome. I don't know if you folks tuned in, and you know, it, but it was really good. So we celebrated mothers, and we got some perspectives from a mother and her two daughters. So we had Louis, Adoma, and Chioma, and they joined us and shared some fantastic recollection, perspective, and ideas. Louis spoke to the instinctive, instinctive nature of her journey as a mother, while both Adoma and Chioma acknowledged how they have adopted unconsciously many of their mother, many of the things their mother did um, to, with them as children. In the end, they all accepted that every mother has her own journey, although culture and community are key influences on that journey. If you missed last week's episode or any other episode of Watagua National, you can jump onto our social media handles. And that is on Facebook, YouTube. That's where you can watch the repeat. But we are encouraging you to follow us on all of these social media platforms. So Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and you can also visit our website at www.wataguan.ca. So follow us, like, share, comment, keep the thing going, keep the thing lively, all right? So next up is some things that are happening across Canada. So in Calgary, join the Canadian Association, the Jamaican Canadian Association of Alberta at their Spring Fling, and that is happening tomorrow, May 20, at the, at the JCA building at 611-3288 Avenue Northeast, and that's in Calgary. The party starts at 9 p.m., but you can come out early and play some dominoes before the party starts. Admission is only $20. There will be a cash bar, and there will be goated soup or manish water and other soup on sale so come on out and support the thing the third edition of the calgary black film festival is happening may 26 to 29th many great productions for seasoned and up-and-coming filmmakers the festival will be both online and in person 
go to calgaryblackfilm.com to see the lineup and also to get tickets. The Caribbean Associations in Calgary, in partnership with the Calgary Police Service, presents Youth Summit 2023, and this will take place on May 27 with the theme, Helping Our Youth Navigate a Path to Success. The event goes from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the CPS West Winds campus, and that's at 5111 47th Street Northeast. Seats are limited, so register today on Eventbrite. You must be registered to attend. Now, just a little tips and news from Dunga Yard. Um, the Jamaican government is exploring nuclear energy as part of a national energy policy. Prime Minister Andrew Olness has signaled the intentions of the government to integrate nuclear energy in the country's energy mix. Speaking at the opening ceremony of, of Expo Jamaica 2023 on Thursday, April 28, the Prime Minister revealed that already he had spoken to International Atomic Energy Agency, IAEA, the World Central Intergovernmental Forum for Scientific and Technical Cooperation in the Nuclear Field about using nuclear energy to generate electricity. The move will form part of the Government of Jamaica's National Energy Policy, which in part aims to generate 50% of electric energy from renewable sources by 2030. Join us in Jamaica for the Windrush Five Communities Anchor Festival under the theme A United Family at Home and Abroad at August Town Primary School in African Garden Square, August Town, Jamaica, on Tuesday, 23rd of May, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. On the day, there will be football, netball, dominoes, live entertainment from local and international talent, a farmer's market, and delegations from the UK and USA diaspora. This will be a fun day for all. So join us on Tuesday, 23rd of May, August Town Primary School at African Garden Square. That's August Town, Jamaica, on Tuesday, 23rd of May, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. For more information, download the Fresh FM Radio London app today. The Center for Intellectual Excellence presents the World Diversity in Leadership Conference 2023 from June 20th to 23rd at the NISQ Conference Center near Edmonton, Alberta. Here, speakers including Margaret Trudeau, Minjit Minhas, Dr. Denise Green, and many great panelists focus on the themes of climate change and mental health. To register and get more information, go to www.wodil.ca or call 780. the show is moving on and it's my next favorite part of the show and that is time to reason with none other than the big man himself donovan simon so take a seat grab your coffee because it is now time to all a liquor reason 
something of real discussion. Uh, David, thank, thanks for taking this time. All right. Uh, Every week is, is kind of a different affliction, affliction you know, and <laughs> like between the water and the prize and all them. Zones, you know. <laughs> we need somebody to send me some frankincense and myrrh and like a Kananga water. Oh, you look like me go deeper. Hey, I have, I have to look. Uh, well, you know, part of the thing is this week we're going to do some looking. Uh, yes. This week, you know, the, the smoke has cleared here in Calgary, so hopefully, yeah. you know, the, the breathing is going to be better and some rain apparently is in the forecast, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, this, and the sun come out proper strong today. Uh, yeah, you, could, you, could, you could actually see the sky, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's good. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we're going to get into a little conversation here with Tony Fairweather. Tony's an author. He's, he's born in the Windrush generation. His dad sailed on the Windrush. Uh, just to, to kind of set the context of people, this is a recorded conversation because Tony's in England, which is about four o'clock in the morning now. So we had this conversation a couple of days ago uh, about the Windrush. Yeah. So, so we're going to talk about it. There is some activity happening in Jamaica, actually. Uh, over the next couple of days, uh, you know, maybe I should share some of that before we we, we get to any started here. Uh, yeah, let's see if we can add it and let people see. So there's a range of activities happening between May 23rd and June 22nd in in Kingston. So they're having the Anchor Festival in African Gardens out in Augustone. Plus they're having a church service. They're having a panel discussion. There's an exhibition as well going on. So if you're in Jamaica uh, over the next month or so, there are a range of activities where you can learn something about the Windrush. Yeah. What, what is this all about? Uh, some people are still alive who actually traveled in 1948. Uh, believe, believe it or not, you know, 75 years, I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> a, a long time. Don't in their teens. I don't know when I'm going to. I want to stow up on the boat on my, on my picnic. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, them time as a boy, you never forget visa or not, you know. So you just no, colony then. So right. So so yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So so that's what we're gonna do. We're going here a little here from 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 Tony. Yeah. And we exit that, and and then we'll we'll come back and chat like later. Yeah, man. All right. Have a good reason. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. All right. Cool. Welcome to another time to reason here on Wataguan. And this year we're going to be continuing our discussion on Windrush 75, celebrating those who left Jamaica and the Caribbean in search of a better life, in search of contributing to the motherland. And this year is 75 years since that happened. We're going to be talking today to Tony Fairweather, a man from Clapham in South London with roots from Portland, in Jamaica. Uh, most importantly today though, is the author of a story, a book about Windrush, 
28 pounds, 10 shillings. And it's my pleasure to have Tony join us as we continue discussing Windrush 75, a generation of stories. Let me bring Tony on. Hey, Tony. Hello, hello, hello to everybody. Pleasure to be here. Uh, awesome. Thanks, thanks for joining us. And uh, first of all, thanks for writing uh, this book. It's a pleasure. Um, it was an education for me. And it's a part of the Windrush story that needed to be told. Uh, and maybe let's dive into that a little bit. You know, prior, prior to me meeting Rudy a couple, a couple months ago, Windrush was just a word we heard and we more heard the legal issues of, of some of those who uh, are still alive and struggling with the home office. But there's more to that story. So maybe, Tony, help us to, to, to understand the parts thereof. But first, though, what, what inspired you to write 28 pounds, 10 shillings? I was talking to my mother and my aunties, and uh, they were always talking about when they got here, what happened when they were here, all the trials and tribulations of being uh, in London. But if you talk about the journey, how they got here, how they got the money to get here, what happened on the journey over on the boats. And um, the more I pushed it, the more they kind of not talked about it. So I decided to separate them and add a little Guinness punch and a little bit of rum and loosen up their tongue. And uh, <laughs> they started to open up. But they, yeah. you know, but they, they gave it to me information in a way that was anonymous. They didn't want me to put their names to it. Right. Obviously, I'm talking to a, a 92-year-old woman or an 89-year-old person. Uh, but when they came over, they were in their 18, 19, 20. Right. They were right. young people. So they did what young people did. Now, as one lady put it to me, it's the first time away from my island, my pastor, and my parents. Yeah. And I got onto a boat, she said, where there were 600 men and about 300 <laughs> women. And it was heaven. <laughs> And there was music, dancing, gambling, drinking, all the way over. Yeah. Some of the people I spoke to had a great journey over. Some had a horrible journey over. Some were right. sick from the time they got on to the time they got off. The food made them sick, gave them diarrhea. It was after the war, so there was a lot of powdered food too. Which oh, okay. Well. Um, and some men I spoke to from the ex-servicemen's club in Clapham South, some of them said that they slept in lifeboats and, and on decks. Um, some were stowaways. Um, and so it wasn't always a pleasant journey, but I wanted to tell that story because it hadn't been told before. Right. Uh, and that's why I wrote the book. And I thought I need to capture these stories because it took me four years to do it. And during that time, half the people I spoke to are now with the ancestors. Right, right. What, what were some of the, the, the things they spoke about as their motivation for wanting to take that journey? Well, it was after the war. Two things happened. There was a hurricane in 1948, which really devastated the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And it was after the war. And remember, during the war, there was no trade in the Caribbean. So people right. were you know, really trying to get jobs and get money. Um, and uh, when the King of England and the government invited, sent an invitation to the Commonwealth, which included Jamaica, Trinidad, and all the other islands, to come to the in build because uh, England was on its knees after the war. A lot of people died in war. A lot of British people died. A lot of uh, African and Arab people died. Um, they took up that invitation, and the fare to get on board that ship was twenty-eight pounds ten shillings. 
In today's money, that's about 600 pounds. And to get that money, a lot of them sold their pigs, their goats, their tools, their carts, borrowed, whatever they could get to right. get in that boat. Because they knew once they got to England, the money they could earn, they could send back and feed four families. Right. So that's what's the motivation to answer your question, to get on that boat, was to earn yeah. money. Everybody was said they came for five years, no more. They were going back after five years. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't know to work, don't did it? No, it's not. We came along. I came along. My generation right. came along. And they wanted the best for us, and they just thought, decided to stay and put us through right. education. Uh, in staying, though, many of them suffered uh, the, the challenge of being in a, in a different culture, racism, social use. Uh, what, what did you learn as you did your research about how they handled some of those issues? Traumatizes that they use. When I was talking to elders and they gave me instance where they, uh, one lady said she went into the shop. Second day she arrived, she went into the shop and uh, the man served everybody in the shop but her. When there was no one left to serve, then he served her. Mm -hmm. And she had to put the money on the counter. And he took it from her, put the change on the counter, sort of shooed it over to her. Yeah. And she was telling me this story. This was an 89-year-old woman. I could still see the hurt in her eye. Mm -hmm. And I use that example to show you that the people who came, there's a misconception in the Caribbean that uh, people came over here and it's all milk and honey and the streets were paved with gold and everything was great. It wasn't. Right. They had a hard time. And, and they got here and they had to make the best of it. There's no point going back empty-handed. So they had right. to go through what they went through. Right. And when the children came along, my age group came along, um, they had to now keep a roof over there and food in our bellies. So they had right. to put up with a lot of rubbish, it's the nicest word I can use, um, to, to, to put food on the table. Right. And I remember as a young man, my dad coming in, and I know that a bad day, because the first thing he would do is go into the front room, turn on the blue spot gram, and put on either Nat King Cole or Ace Cannon or whatever, mm -hmm. sit down with a glass of rum, and I mm -hmm. could see the tension leaving him. Right. And this is what they had to do with. As a young person, I still recognize the tension. And as a later on, when I spoke to him before he passed, he said, yeah, the racism at work was terrible. They tried to get rid of them, they spat in their face, they spat in their food, they did a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, how did that affect you as a young man, Tony? Like, you you are seeing these things later on, you heard the story. How, how did that make you feel? Well, as, young kid, as, you right? as a young kid, you didn't recognize it as racism. You didn't recognize it as that. You just thought dad's having a bad day. That's what you thought. It's then when you got sense, as they say, like when, you, when I had sense and I got older, then I realized what exactly was going on. But prior to that, I just thought that person doesn't like me, uh, you know, that white person doesn't like me, or that person doesn't like me. So I just got on with life until I got older. And then I went to school, and then I confronted racism at school. Um, and how teachers teach me, or how I was treated, how some kids called your names like Tarzan and ape like names and stuff like that. And that's when you realize you were different from them. Um, you see, when you lived in, I was born in 1958. So when I went home, I was going to Jamaica. They taught, you know, mom and dad taught Patois, it's Caribbean food. When my aunts and uncles come, it's all Patois. It was Caribbean music. But when I walked out the door, 
I was in England. Right. And I was Cockney. And I had to go on that Cockney. And, right. and live your life too. So you assimilate. You assimilate. You you got to take in what's around you as a young person. Yeah. And, and you don't realize the horrors of what's going on around you till you get old till I got older anyway. Right. How do you think the generations post those who came uh, handled the issues? Uh, has it gotten better? Are we more vocal? Have we achieved more based on the, the, the struggles of those who came on, on the Windrush? Um, the generation now would not put up with half the things their grandparents put up with. Right. It's as simple as that. There'd be riots in the streets every day. And what they appreciate is my parents, their grandparents went through all this rubbish so they could have a better life, so they could have the view that they have today, so they yeah. can't be discriminated against. Even still going on, it's not as bad as 1948 or 1952, yeah. when it was blatant. You could put a sign up on your door saying, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't illegal. Right. So laws, laws have been changed in this country. And, and that's because of the, what I call the pioneering Windrush generation. So right. they changed the laws in this country. They fought for us to have a better life. And in doing so, they changed the laws. Yeah. They put up with it. Um, and I salute them. And I don't think they get enough credit for what they did. I really right. don't. They, they, they brought a lot of culture to England as well. Some of the stories you hear uh, were about those basement parties and the, the infusion of Caribbean culture into Brixton and other places. Well, what did you learn as you as you put this together? Well, they, were told, they, they told me, the elders told me that when they came here, everybody was wearing brown and gray. That was the two colors everybody had, brown and yeah. gray. When they came off the boat, it was like a, a waterfall of colors, <laughs> yellows and oranges and blues and greens. And one woman said when she got off the boat, the Dockworth were just looking at them with their mouth open. They've never seen anything like it. Yeah. And these women in their white gloves and matching sets and pearls and, and the men in their suits, tailored yeah. and their hats. They were looking sharp when they Dapper, came Dapper, yeah. Absolutely dapper. Because it was a big deal to, to, to leave right. that and get on a boat. So you wore your Sunday best. And they got off that boat in their Sunday best. So um, it was, a, what's the word I'm looking for? It was, it, it's a story they told me about colors, particularly. And that's where the front room came from. As, as some people may know, in each Caribbean house, there was a room called the front room. And yeah. it was usually locked. Yeah. That front room, when you walked in there, there was an explosion of colours. Accents yeah. the carpet didn't match the, the loud wallpaper, that didn't match the loud sofa, that didn't match the runners on there and things everywhere. And, and I run the, the, the Windrush collection, which is the travelling front room. And I explained to people that the reason why there was so much colour in the in the Caribbean houses because they came from a colourful background. They were right. brought up in the Caribbean where they saw yellow, blues, and greens. They came to England and they saw grey, but <laughs> grey. So they wanted to bring a bit of that spirit back. So yeah. when you walked, that's why I say when I walked into my house, I walked into Little Jamaica. Yeah. And and they brought with them a, a certain cultural vibe as well on the music scene. I heard, yes, uh, which which has led to some of the biggest carnivals that that continue until today. That's correct. On the boats over, they told me about the dancing that went on, the music that went on on the boats, and still pans players 
and, and some people had uh, made makeshift sound systems on the, on the boats coming over because it's two weeks and two days voyage. So they got up to a lot of things. And, and that when they arrived here in England, they wanted those records. So people who are coming brought them with them. And that's how the import started. People who brought them and later on the BOAC planes took the records with them. And that's how records became over here. And then the white people got hold of it and said, well, this is good music. And they started to import them in the shops. I mean, it was Caribbean people who brought Jim Reeves to England. They didn't know who he was. They That's brought interesting. Him over here. Yeah. So as you know, Jim Reeves is very popular in the Caribbean. Oh yeah, of, of course. So, Everybody Sunday morning you play Jim Reeves, yeah. yeah. And they brought him <laughs> over to England, didn't know who the hell he was. <laughs> uh, they also brought sport. Uh, and a number of, of the stories I've read, uh, the men got into cricket and soccer. Yes. Um, it, again, they get a lot of the frustration of a hard day facing racism five days a week. So you do things to relieve yourself. So cricket was one of them. And that's when uh, uh, I'd say the Caribbean ruled the world in cricket then, not now, yeah. but then. Um, <laughs> and we were the number one team to beat. So yeah. we were proud Jamaicans. And I remember the young man going to Oval, um, sitting there with my dad watching the cricket team. And it was amazing. Steel pans, long life beer everything was going on and then on the other side you had the white english team support that just sit there very sober very polite yeah didn't get it that you know it was a great time so yes we uh, the windrush generation changed the face of england yeah the lifestyles the, the the fashion the music the food just the food alone because we wanted certain food that we couldn't get and people in the markets so there's money to be made. So they didn't do it because they liked it, they did it because it made money. Right. So they imported yam, they imported, you know, hard food and things like that you couldn't get over here at the time. So um, yes, we did change a lot of things, food included. Yeah. Is there, is there in your opinion, an appropriate appreciation, especially from the English side of the equation of what Windrush did for England? No, there isn't. And if there was, you wouldn't have the Windrush scandal, which I'm sure you've all heard about. Right. People who came here when they were 18, 19, 20 year olds, um, who came over on that boat and other boats that came afterwards, were suddenly got knock on the door. Some people got their door kicked off and they've been arrested as illegal immigrants. And this all came around because the, the Prime Minister Maggie Thatcher decided that you had a deadline to register. And if you didn't register, you were seen as illegal. Even though these people had paid their taxes, they had in insurance numbers, they paid their taxes, they did everything, quite the book, but suddenly they were illegal immigrants. And this was because the paperwork for a lot of the early boats that came in from the Windrush date was suddenly gone missing or destroyed. Now, I want you to think about that. 1948 to 1965, there's a wave of people coming over. The paperwork for that suddenly disappeared. But I can go to any museum now and see the Magna Carta. I can see letters from King Henry VIII, from Charles I, from 18 something. But you telling me you can't keep papers from 1948. That's, yeah, that's, that's weird. So you know something was bigger was going on there. Right. Uh, and the other piece is ma many of those people who came over just, just went into working and trying to surviving. They, they would have never imagined at some point that they would 
need normalization or naturalization or anything because as far as they were con concerned they were contributors they were they were english by now right yes they had national insurance from the tax numbers everything and they paid their taxes and did everything by the book yeah. so why should there be someone kicking off their door or telling them they have to leave some people lost their, their families their jobs their houses and lost their lives and yeah. their minds some people were mad some people were sent back home they had no one there to meet them yeah. And they still haven't been compensated. A handful of people have been compensated, a handful. Yeah. Uh, hundreds of people that were inconvenienced. And inconvenience is a very polite word to use. Right. Because if I came to, you know, people are listening now, imagine you've been in Jamaica or wherever you're listening for all your life and someone knocks and knock, knock, kicks down your door and says, you're illegal, I'm arresting you. Put you in handcuffs, put you in a detention center and then put you in home. Yeah. Since you were 18 years old. Right. Yeah, many of those people uh, who went on Windrush truly never never came back. I've, I've talked to a couple who uh, they came back to Jamaica five years ago. Yes, some people didn't come back. Um, every year they're coming back, they're coming back. I mean, you had this scenario when you went into Caribbean bedrooms. You always had the, the, the grip or the suitcase on top yeah. of the wardrobe and you had the trunk there and Ottoman with all the good things in that they were taking back. They was always ready to go back. To the day my dad died, his group was on the top of the wardrobe, packed with clean shirts and everything, ready for him to go home. He never made it. Right. And his story was told throughout the land. So it's 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 a sad situation. That, um, after five years, they stayed, and this is how they were rewarded. And remember, they were brought over to help the NHS because it was newly mm -hmm. formed in 1948. So they needed nurses and doctors and stuff. Right. And they needed teachers. And some of us who came over in the Greenwich generation were qualified doctors and nurses. But the yeah. only thing they could get were auxiliary. They wouldn't yeah. acknowledge their skills. They gave them low money and low pay, but they took it. They gripped their teeth and worked their way up the ladder. Yeah, I wanted to go down that for a little bit, Tony, because vocationally, many people did make the most of the windrush experience right they mm -hmm. went back to school they got into professions mm -hmm. that they grew with and and made the most out of it right yes uh, they did well they had no choice really it was sink or swim if right. you come to a, a country and i say to people today if i gave you a small grip or a suitcase as you call it a piece of paper to dress on no sat-nav, no Google map, none of that. And I said, get on that boat, you don't know anybody on there, go to and I hope someone's there to meet you at the other end. And you have to find this address. How many of us would actually do that nowadays? We wouldn't. In those days, with no technology, that's what they had, a piece of paper with an address on. And, and they hoped that, that email letter they sent a month before reached there so someone's at the port to meet them. Right. One man told me it took him three days to walk from Tilbury Docks to Ballon. He slept yeah. in park benches and stuff on the way there because no one was there to meet him because he'd left yeah. the English group. Um, some people told me that they spent months wandering around because uh, no one was there to meet them. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of horror stories too. And, and that's why, again, I call them pioneers because they were yeah. a lot of things that uh, our generation and, and this new generation would not put up with. Yeah. In fact, I read about a hostel where a number of people were housed for a little bit it was below a train line. That's uh, right. In Clapham South. Right. It's, a, it's called an air raid shelter. Right. And they use it in the war when England was being bombed by the Nazis. 
they would put people underground to protect them. Um, and, uh, and there's a lot of pictures. If you go online now, you see a lot of pictures of men in nicely suits and everything, but you can see they're underground, some form of underground um, uh, housing, metal walls, etc. And that's where a lot of, my dad, when he came, he, he went to Clapham South. He was there for two months um, with a lot of other men who were, who were demobbed from the war. That was standard, they had nowhere to go. So that's where the government put them. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about today. So we've got 28 pounds, 10 shillings. We've got other stores. There are a few documentaries. Uh, what does today's generation need to take from the winner of story, Tony? There's so much. Um, the first thing they need to do is listen. Listen to your elders. Get their stories before they go. Because so like I did, I, I just put it in a book but listen to their stories and pass it down to their children because mm -hmm. it's a learning process. Uh, the second thing they need to do is see the example of what they set, that they took things and turned it around to their advantage. Yeah. You know, they didn't go to the arms going and be seen and carrying on bad. They, they, they put their head down and got on with it and they, yeah. they, they proved their worth by being successful. That's how they got their revenge. Yeah, more black people owned houses in those days than white people, because yeah. no one would rent to us. So we <laughs> yeah, that too, right? Yeah. So we formed together in groups and bought houses, usually bombed out houses after the war were damaged, and fixed them up. And then once you fix them up, then each room would be sold to another black family. Right. So in a house, you could have five black families living in different rooms, but they would save their money by living there to get their flat. Right. And partner system was what made this all possible that was the black bank yeah it, yeah it was the partner system without that i don't think we would have got houses because no one was giving us any money the banks would give us a dime right and and people weren't renting to us i remember my dad said he stayed in a room where there were four men and two beds two work <laughs> two work yeah beds. yeah they work shifts yeah they work shifts so it's a hot bed they were called because the bed never got cold <laughs> And then sometimes the man would sleep on the floor in between the two of them because he was yeah. hungry. And they would say, come and sit on the floor. But that's the, that's the kind of community. We use the word loosely now, but then it was a community. They were looking out for each other. And he told me stories of he saw men sitting on benches and said, what's wrong, man? Where are you from? And when they got their story, they got nowhere to go. And they said, come. And they hook them up with someone else and get them, that man back on his feet or that woman right. back on his feet. And when the men established a bit, that's when they sent for their wives and their partners right. to come over. So it's all very, um, it, it's the stories are really fascinating for young people. If they listen to the stories, it, it's, you know, they watch a film and they think, well, that's a great story. Well, your relatives are better stories and bigger stories. Right. I think the other part of that too, Tony, is that while there are many elements of the story that are sad and uh, disgusting, quite frankly, there are elements that we should celebrate. Yes, without a doubt. I mean, it, it wasn't all doom and gloom. And there are, there are things that came out of this um, where, again, the Notting Hill Carnival, um, right. associations, black schools, um, black businesses, um, number of barbershops and hairdressing shops, food <laughs> shops. Electric yes, Avenue. <laughs> yes. You know, Brixton was, remember Brixton, everybody knows Brixton because of black people. Right. But Brixton was a very bombed out area. 
that's why we moved in there because it was a bombed out area and and you could pick up property very very cheap right and we fixed them up and made bricks and what it is today so that was the way forward so you've got to look at the the, the struggles that the windrush people went through but the achievements what they did was amazing yeah. and what they achieved and what they've left and now we've got people living in houses they're in their 80s and 90s and those houses are worth one two point million pounds right. but they bought those houses for like ten thousand pounds or fifteen thousand yeah. pounds yeah I, I i saw that i came down to brixton and somebody showed me a couple of areas and like you can't buy those i'm like what do you mean uh, I suppose maybe they're close to Electric Avenue. I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's especially of Electric Avenue all around the Poets Corner, they call it. And and those their story, they're, they're walk-ups. They're like your red bricks in New York. You walk up right. stairs, it's got a basement, right. four stories on top. Those houses are over two million pounds now. But <laughs> in those back in those days, they were slums. Absolute slums. No one wanted right. them. You could pick them up for five thousand pounds. Yeah. And look, so, look, how we, look how where we are today. Uh, while we, we get close to wrap up here, Tony, talk to us a little bit about the artifacts and the collections that you continue to work on and put together to, to maintain the legacy of Windrush. Well, I, I, the, the artifacts that we have, unfortunately, are disappearing when our elders pass. Uh, the young people go in, pick what they want, and then they get a house clearing and throw everything away because it doesn't fit into their IKEA way of living, which is sad because if you realize how long it took our parents to buy those items, like that center table, she might have paid two and six a week for the next year to pay for that. And the bar might have cost 200 pounds. It might have taken him two years to pay for that. And then when they pass, you just throw them away. Well, this is living history. I was raised in a front room like that. And um, we've got to collect our history because our history is being written by white people and no museum is housing our artifacts. So what we're doing now is getting together and saving them. I've started the Windrush collection and I'm working with people to open a black museum in England. And I will donate one of my front rooms and my bedroom and my kitchens to that, to that museum. But in the meantime, it's a traveling museum. It travels up and down the country in schools and colleges and centers and working a lot of work with people with dementia and residential homes. Um, a lot of elders, Caribbean and African people, they see an item like the glass fish and then they, their memory comes back and they start talking about it. It's amazing <laughs> to see, you know, you bring in, sometimes I lay down the, 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 the accident carpet in, in there and they're like, wow, I bought that carpet in 19 so-and-so and so and da And it's great to see that. It's right. keeping that alive because, uh, it's, because it's so close to us in terms of history, we must appreciate it because it will disappear. We are literally every day. While I've done this interview, someone's thrown away something from our history. Right. Somewhere in England and not realize the value of it. So, yeah. so I'm saving it. I'm saving as much as I can. And uh, when I shuffle off this earth to my ancestors, that's my legacy I've left for my children and my grandchildren. They can see how their grandma and granddad lived. Uh, how do we bring the community into this, Tony? What are some of the things you'd want to, to, to share? You know, we've got people in Canada, the US, Jamaica, well, all over the world, quite frankly, watching and learning from this. How do we bring the community into this? I think you should do your own research. You can just go to your search box now and put in Windrush UK and see what comes out with pages and pages of stuff will start appearing. You can do your own research and then look around you because you're, you're living history. If you're living in Canada, wherever you live, 
you're living there, someone lived there before you, there's history there. Research that history, save that history. Because we as black people didn't just appear. We've been here for millions and millions of years. <laughs> and, we, and we were trading with the Americas, North and South America, while white people were still pushing stuff out of the cave. And that's a fact. Yeah. Our, our artifacts are everywhere throughout the, the world. You'll see pictures mm -hmm. of black people. Uh, and then now it's, 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 we've accomplished so much that they say the pyramids are built by aliens because they can't believe that human beings. <laughs> yeah. so there's a lot of things we've done that have been downplayed because of racism and slavery. And don't forget, slavery played a key part in our history. Right. It really threw away our history. It didn't give it any value. You know, we were jungle bunnies, then we were slaves, and now we're here. That's our history. So we've really got to um, uh, uh, go there, research, write it, put it down in paper. That's what you've got to do. And, and and you've done that uh, with twenty-eight pound ten shillings, and I'm sure there's lots more in the pipeline. Any previews you want to share? What, 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 yes, what? I'll, be, I'll be coming to um, I'll be coming to Jamaica on the nineteenth to the thirty-first of May. Mm -hmm. I'll be in Kingston for five days, and then I'll be going over to Treasure Beach, Calabash, and then I'm taking some time off sitting on the beach drinking lots and lots of rum. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'll be doing some work with RJR. Um, uh, RJR, the, um, sorry, I have to plug in my laptop for it. Um, RJR and doing interviews on radio stations. And also I'll be uh, doing talks at Stankster's bookshop. Mm -hmm and uh, some other private events in people's houses. Quite a few private events in people's yeah. houses, in gardens and things. I'll be having the books with me, and people can get them from me, I'll be book signing. And I'll be sharing my experiences with people about yeah. the Windrush Collection, the book, why I wrote it, and how it affects Britain, because people think, oh, it's over there, but actually it affects Jamaica. Right. Because those people who came over, my parents' age group, Windrush, they sent money back. Right. And that money that built the land, that bought the land that some of you are living on now, bought the yeah. house from you are living in that, yeah. came from that. So there's a connection there. Yeah. And, and you've got to appreciate that, not just see that the streets were paved with gold. They weren't. <laughs> they were. They worked hard. They worked hard. And they were dirty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is good. Tori, this has been fantastic. Uh, lots of learning, lots of information that I, I think all our people need to to hear and to continue to dig into uh thank you for doing what what you have done so far and continue to do and we'll continue to spread the word and amplify the story and capture more gems uh, around windrush thank you thank you very much sir thank you and i hope to see you all in jamaica uh when i get out there yeah <laughs> exactly we'll have a drink together Invite all me. right we, we, we we'll try to make it happen let's do that Okay. All right, take care. Thank you.
Another interesting one, I tell you. Very interesting. Very right, the things that we don't know. And uh, I, I think the, 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 the point that grabbed me most of all was him saying that people who went over to England on the Windrush were pioneers. Yeah. They, they, they were brave. They took on a challenge. Uh, I think that indomitable spirit, and not just of Jamaicans, but, you know, people from the Caribbean, Black people all over, to, to take on that challenge, deal with it, and and come out at the end of it successful generally. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that that was pretty cool. Uh, lots of lots of comments. Bob, uh, big up, Bridgen. Bob Bob is on sharing yeah. his story. We were British subjects going over to help rebuild the motherland. I lived in London, 1957, almost 10 years. Thanks. Yeah. Bob. Again, today I was the first black student at Balam Secondary School for Boys. Can't buy a house in Brixton today for like, whoa, three million pounds. Yeah, Brixton is interesting. And I, I, I was down, I was down there, uh, when was it, last year? I don't remember when. And, you know, people were showing me some houses and how expensive. And I'm like, no, because it just look like what? You know, <laughs> if you've been to England, you know, these houses are generally uh, pretty small, but. Uh, there's a lot of culture that that goes with Brixton. I have some seriously good rice and peas down at the Jamaican place down there. Oh really? I had some. I, it wasn't it wasn't the best, but what was what surprised me is that and it just goes. I don't know what we can do. When I went to some of these restaurants, like they were, it was a Jamaican in these restaurants, so it's not Jamaican owned. And I'm like, oh look at that. But the next time I go, when I walk down to Brixton, I'll have a different... Yeah, man. They have, like, have like a place down there, yeah, you know, uh, some big fish and Kalaloo and all kind of... You name it, yeah. it's pretty cool. And it's all over England, actually. I, I think the, the culture has spread. I was, I was in a little place called Colchester uh, mm. last year or the year before. I remember when it was. Uh, and there's a little Jamaican restaurant there, and I'm like, Colchester are seriously, yeah. but you know the culture has spread all over. Yeah. Well, yeah. Bob, Bob is saying that, you know, we taught we taught them color and hygiene. Yeah. There, there are many pictures of people <laughs> who sailed on the Windrush, and they were dapper. I mean, you know, when Jamaican people talk about trash. Yeah, man. You are you bush to the bone? Bush, yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they went all out. So lots to learn from it. Uh, yeah. For those for those who who didn't see it earlier, if you're in if you're in Jamaica, you might want to swing over into Kingston to see what's happening. The National Library of Jamaica, in in association with a couple of the ministries, are putting on a number of activities in support of celebrating Wind Windrush 75. So if you're in Augustone, you can go check out the Anchor Festival. You can go to the church service on the 24th. You can. Uh, tune into the panel discussion on the 25th, or you can see the traveling exhibition that the Jamaica Library Service is taking across the island as they celebrate Windrush 75. So some cool things happening to promote Windrush in Jamaica. We should see if we can get one of the book or a couple of the books to put in our library. In the oh, man. Yeah, we, we'll, be, we'll be getting a book. Good, nice. So, so, so I'll make sure Tony's book is, is a part of the JCA. Uh, library for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right, cool. Uh, I think this was a good one. Another good one. Yeah, man. Yeah, you're definitely a rule. So, <laughs> oh, 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 keep going. 
All right. Well, we'll be back next week. See ya. Yeah, man. All right. Cool. Have a good long weekend. Yeah. Yeah, man. All right. Okay, folks. I hope you tuned in. I hope you were listening. Thanks to all the folks who were um, jumping in and keeping the um, the comment section engaging. Thanks, Bob and those others. I forget the names, but thanks that Joseph and he said he's saying, "Whoa, very interesting stuff." It truly was. So it's now is the time that we need to do our own little research and start reading and you know getting a full understanding of how not just Jamaican, I can just stick to Jamaica because I'm Jamaican, but the impact us as people, us as black people, has had on the world, our resilience and all of that, that, you know, we're still standing here today, despite or in spite of all the challenges, we're still standing. So go do your own research, look, check out Windrush 75, go on the Google and wherever and type in, and if you're in England and those places, they have um, museums and stuff with all of these records, Go on out and do your research and let us keep, you know, um, education is elevation, right? So next week, we are going to be talking about male mental health. Again, send in your questions and keep the comments lively. So come back. I'm inviting all the folks who are here today to come back again and keep the, the, the thing lively because we're going to be focusing on male mental health. All right, that um, we are going to be talking with <clears throat> um, Timmy Abiola, and he'll be um, looking at, um, he's a mental health practitioner, so he'll be here next week to have another good, I'm sure, another good conversation with us. I Again, did anyone comment on whether they know what us did and cow fat or us did and crow fat mean? Remember, that was our patois phrase this week so ass dead and cow fat that's what i know it as and it means when i say ass dead and cow fat means someone is giving you a long story making up many excuses but if it's ass dead and crow fat apparently one man's one man's loss is another man's gain it kind of makes sense say ass dead and cow and crow fat because where us dead and cow fat mean, I've seen some comments where people say, when us dead, that mean cow get more for eat. It's a long story, people. So again, check it out and you can still drop it in the comments even after you've rewatched this. And let us still know what it means. Who knows if you if you put something there, we um, can look into what it means and if you've heard it before. Just again, we're promoting next week's show. The topic is going to be on male mental health. A very interesting topic it will be. Tune in because our, our men, you know, oftentimes, especially within the black men, when you talk about mental health, is something that we don't necessarily focus on. So we want to look at um, male mental health. Just to reiterate, we're going to be talking to Timmy Abiola. So join us for some of the of the questions that you might have and need answered. Why do men commit? Why do more men commit suicide or die by suicide? That's the new term they use now. Or why do more men suicide, right? Are our men handling their roles well? How does culture and community influence the way men look at themselves and manage all that comes at them? Again, join us for this young man who is going to be talking to us. It's another special episode. We will be looking at male mental health. Remember, you can now share your message, your advert, 
on Wataguan National. So share your stories while we share our stories and experiences. So advertise with us as we continue to grow and make this thing bigger and better. Contact us via wataguan.ca or any of our social media handles. And remember that's Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn, and our website, which is www.wataguan.ca. And Guan is 2A. To send us your, your videos or whatever for your promotion, you can send that to us through email at wataguancnd at gmail.com. You can also ask your questions there too. Remember to follow us, like, subscribe, share the thing. Share it like you yeah, share good food. You know when you cook some good curry goat, share the thing just like that. Because you want everybody to know say it tastes good. So let everyone else know that Wataguan is doing big things. All right. So again, it's another Friday. It's a long weekend. And your girl from Bongatown just want to say, Enjoy your long weekend if you're in Canada and walk good if you're not, all right? See you next week. Bye.